Hasn't it been a great morning? Who's, who is thrilled, and I'll use that word, that Christ is the one who justifies and not you and me who have to justify ourselves before God? Is that good? That is awesome. That is absolutely awesome. And to be reminded of that this morning, that we stand here today, we come here today as, as God's family because of what Christ has done. Because if it was up to me, there'd be no point in me coming. Amen? On the day when I act, says the Lord Almighty, then they will be my treasure possession. I will spare them just as a father has compassion and spares his son who serves him. And you will again see the distinction between the righteous and the wicked, between those who serve God and those who don't. There will be a distinction between those who serve God and those who don't. I'm sure you, like me, have over a a fairly long period of time now heard about servanthood. You know, it's pushed a a fair bit. There's a lot been written in books in the last uh, five years especially on being a servant of God and servant leadership and, uh, and anything to do with servant. And we thought it would be a good idea if we have a look today at what it might be, uh, what, what is the scripture? How does, a, how does a servant look in scripture? Before we do that, what picture comes to your mind when I simply use the word servant? You know, we, we, we often think in pictures in our mind, don't we? That's, a word comes and a picture comes to our mind. What is it when I say servant? What picture comes to your mind? Somebody who's not dressed very well because they have hard work to do. Oh, that's good. That's good. I like that. What else? I think Jesus washing the Yes. Yep. Anyone else? Sorry? Yes, okay. What comes... Sorry? Yes, that's exactly right. Do you know that's the picture that comes to my mind? Do you, who remembers upstairs, downstairs? Yeah, <laughs> you won't. <laughs> yes, 30 years difference. Yeah. <laughs> I said something to my daughters the other, last night um, about a particular show. Now, I just thought this show was just, a, you know, quite recent. It was completely before their time. It was, uh, um, it was 1979 when I was watching that. And, uh, oh, it's so real. Anyway, anyway, that we come up with these various pictures in our mind. And um, do we have a, a, a one? That's it. There we go. Thank you. Richard Foster said this on, on being a servant. Consider the perspective of a slave. A slave sees all of life through the viewpoint of slavery. He does not see himself as possessing the same rights as free men and women. Please understand me, when this slavery is involuntary, it is cruel and dehumanising. When the slavery is freely chosen, however, everything is changed. Voluntary servitude is a great joy. Interesting, isn't it? 
I'd like you to look up, and this is on page 50 of the Pew Bible if you're using that, Malachi chapter 2 and we'll read verses 4 to 6. So we're just taking a step back from those last verses. So Malachi chapter 2 verses 4 to 6, 950 on the Pew Bibles. And let me read to you. And you will know that I have sent you this warning so that my covenant with Levi may continue, says the Lord Almighty. My covenant was with him, a covenant of life and peace, and I gave them to him. This called for reverence, and he revered me and stood in awe of my name. True instruction was in his mouth and nothing false was found on his lips. He walked with me in peace and uprightness and turned many from sin. Now we see here that there is seven characteristics of Levi, characteristics of a servant of God. And I'd like to us to have a look at those seven characteristics as being characteristics that we need to have in our lives of our servanthood to Jesus Christ. Here they are. They reverenced God. A servant of God reverenced God. They had a concern for God's name. They preached all of God's truth. They hated sin. Now that's a little bit different to what the word says there and I'll come back to that later and and I'll expand on that. They walked with God. They lived uprightly and they turned many from sin. So here was the person that God had chosen to set his covenant with at at the beginning and these are the characteristics of that person. So these are the characteristics I want to look at today for us in, uh, in being a servant of God. First of all, they reverenced God. That was a, a deep devotion towards God. They had a deep devotion towards God. Hebrews 12:28 says to us, Therefore, since we are, are receiving a kingdom that cannot be shaken... Let us be thankful and so worship God acceptably with reverence and in awe. You know, we sang that song this morning, Indescribable. How do you describe God? How do you describe God? You know, I think it was so good this morning that, uh, that Lee talked about the heavens that are above us. Have you ever been out in outback Australia or in a really dark place and, and looked up and seen the sky? Really seen it when there's no other lights around? Have you been to places where you could see the, um, the awesomeness of creation in the way that the earth has been formed? the majesty of God displayed through the works of his hands. And you know, he could, the Bible tells us that he created those things by the words of his mouth. He didn't need to sit down and draw the plan first and then go and see some engineers and, and work out how we might deal with these issues here. 
And Tony knows all about that with the stuff we're doing here. And, and how much, oh, we might have to invent a different tool as they have on some of the big construction things around the world. We might have to create a new tool just to do this. No. By the words of his mouth, he created all that there is. And you look at these bodies, no, don't look, but if we consider our bodies, science is discovering things every day about these bodies of ours and how amazing they are. Well, who did that? God did that. This God who loves us, he was the one who did this. Is he awesome? He is. And should we revere that in him? Yes, we should. (coughs) Psalm 89, page 587 of uh, of your pew Bibles, but... Psalm 89, 5 to 18. The heavens praise your wonders, Lord, the faithfulness too in the assembly of the holy ones. For who in the skies above can compare with the Lord? Who is like the Lord among the heavenly beings? In the council of the holy ones, God is greatly feared. He is more awesome than all who surround him. Who is like Lord God Almighty? You, Lord, are mighty and your faithfulness surrounds you. You rule over the surging sea. When its waves mount up, you still them. You crushed Rahab like one of the slain. With your strong arm, you scattered your enemies. The heavens are yours and yours also the earth. You founded the world and all that is in it. I was at a conference in Canberra a few years ago and a question was asked from the floor. If God is love and he calls us to love him like a child does a father, why should we fear him? It's a fair question, isn't it? It's a fair question. That this God of the universe who is so powerful that one word of his mouth and we disappear. And yet he calls us to gather around his feet like little children at Christmas time. So why should we fear him? Because God is the same yesterday, today and forever. And that same God whose power was used to create the universe was the same loving, merciful God who sent his son Jesus to die on the cross to bring us into relationship with him. So in this relationship with him we still need to understand that he has not changed and we need to revere him even in this love relationship as the mighty creator of the universe. Who would you rather as your father, me or him? 
Who can you brag about at work or at school? Me or him? There's no comparison between an earthly father and our heavenly father. We must though, in this love relationship with him, still revere him. They had a concern for God's name. They had a concern for God's name. Matthew 6, 9 to 13. You know what that is? The Lord's Prayer. Our Father who art in heaven. What's it say next? What's that mean? Yeah. Yep. It's exactly right. Your name. Hallowed be your name. How awesome is your name. And yet, in today's society, what happens to God's name? Sorry? Absolutely. Absolutely. What is the common saying today? The common saying amongst so many people is, oh my God. Isn't that true? And you see written on all of the media, OMG. You see little children playing and what do they cry out when they see something? Because they've learned it off their parents or from other people, oh my God. But for years, haven't people been using Jesus' name as a swear word? Isn't it true? That God's name is not revered. (coughs) When God gave the Ten Commandments, what were one of those concerning his name? Yes, but a little later. Do not use. That's right. What does vain mean? It means to add no significance to it. It means to, um, to add no value to it. That's what it means. To use his name in vain means to add no value. How much value is in the name of God? How much value is in the name of Christ? Tell me. Absolutely. It's not something that we can take flippantly. <coughs> and yet we allow it to happen. Excuse me. Psalm 8 verse 1 says, O Lord, our Lord, how majestic is your name in all of the earth. (coughs) And let me read to you Psalm 79.9. Help us, God our Saviour, for the glory of your name. Deliver us and forgive us our sins for your name's sake. I'm sorry. Swallowed something. The name of God must be revered. God commands it 
and he desires it. What did he say when he met Moses out in the wilderness? Who will I send? Who will I say sent me? <coughs> Who will I say sent me? Tell them I am. That's all you need to say. Tell them I am. I remember years ago <clears throat> an older gentleman was walking past a group of people and as he did they used the Lord's name in vain and it stood him up and he went back and he said can I just tell you about the person whose name you just used as a swear word that person, Jesus, was the one who loved me and gave himself in death, a cruel death, on a cross to bring me into relationship with God. And it is because of that person that I have a future in heaven. Nothing that I have done, only of him. Please don't use his name as a swear word. Would you stand up for the name of God? Would you stand up for the name of God? Next, the next one says they preached all of God's truth. You know, 2 Timothy 3, 14-17 says this, But as for you, continue in what you have learned and have become convinced of because you know those from whom you learned it and how from infancy you have known the Holy Scriptures which are able to make you wise for salvation through faith in Christ Jesus. All Scripture is God-breathed and is useful for teaching, rebuking, correcting and training in righteousness so that the servant of God may be thoroughly equipped for good work. They preached all of God's truth. Psalm 119, 105 says, Your word is a light to my feet and a lamp to my path. When I was 19, I, I left Australia and went to New Zealand and I started working on a farm with the Brown family down at uh, a place called Wanganui. And, um, <clears throat> and uh, in their the toilet, on the door, hang a po- hung a poster. And this verse was on that poster. And, uh, and so I would read that and it was the first words that I learned to talk in Maori. And uh, so I would read this in English, your word is a light to my feet and a lamp to my path and it was seared in there. And in Maori it says something like this because I, I, I am no expert in any languages or anything but it says, Hirama te kupu ka oku wai wai, himarama koku ara. Someone might hear that on the internet and say, boy, that was terrible, I've got no idea what he says but that's what I read. Isn't it amazing how it gets seared in your mind? But it comes back to me time and time and time again. 
And David knew this. David knew that the word of God was the foundation that he had to stand on in first of all his relationship with God but what else? As the king of Israel. He could not lead the people of Israel. He could not serve the people of Israel without understanding that it was God's word that was his his foundation. When God gave the people of Israel his commands, what did he tell them to do? He said, what? Write them where? Write them on your hearts. Put them on your forehead. Put them everywhere where you can see them. (coughs) Tell your children. Talk about them as you walk down the road. Isn't that true? Why did he do that? Why did he tell them to do all of these things? But because he knew that we as human beings are quickly drawn away in all sorts of other directions. But it is only, there is only one truth. You know, we hear, we hear that there's three truths, isn't it? There's his side, there's her side, and then there's the truth. We hear that all the time, don't we? Or there's his side, his side, and the truth. Her side, her side, the truth. There is only one truth. There's only one truth for foundation for life. There is only one truth for salvation for life. There is only one truth for intimacy with God. And God gave those truths to us and he's wrapped them up in the scriptures and they are there for our living. We are, we must preach the whole of God's truth and we must allow it to be living out in our, day, our life all the time. Jeremiah 31, 33 says, God's word must be engraved on our hearts. Engraved on our hearts. Not just written on it. When you just write something, you can, you can scrub it out. But to engrave it means it's cut deep within and it can't be removed. It needs to be there, cut into our hearts. Number four, they hated sin. Now it says here, true instruction was in his mouth, so that's the last one. Nothing false was found in his lips and yet I've put they hated sin. Now why would I have done that? Well the reason is this, the context of what Jesus was referring to, if you go back earlier in Malachi, the context is this, that the priests who were there at the time were saying one thing but doing something completely different. Saying one thing, doing something completely different. They were saying to the people and preaching to the people, when you come and sacrifice a lamb, what does this lamb need to be look like? What does this lamb need to look like for God? It needs to be a perfect lamb, an unblemished lamb. It needs to be the best lamb of your flock that you give to God because that's what he requires. But the priests were then preaching that and going out to their own flocks and getting a blind lamb, a lame lamb, a diseased lamb. And they were bringing that and they were sacrificing that sort of a lamb on their, on their altars. 
They were not living what they were saying. Now, for a person who hates sin could never do that. A person who loves righteousness could never do that. The word that's used there, that unrighteousness, that word that's used there, is a, it's a doing word. It's a doing word. And so it's, 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 it's very closely related to the fact that it's about what we do about what we say. Now, do we always do that? Do we always live out the things that we say? Is our love for God, our love for righteousness also met with a hatred for sin so that then the things that we say will automatically be done because of our distaste for what is wrong because that's the way it's got to be. We've got to have such a distaste for what is dishonouring to God that we will at all times honour him. And the things that we say, we will do. And sometimes they're very simple things. I'll pray for you, Josh. Some people say. But do we then go and pray? Or do we quickly forget? Psalm 97.10 says, Let those who love the Lord hate evil. Proverbs 8.13 says, To fear the Lord is to hate evil. I I hate pride and arrogance, evil behaviour and perverse speech. And Romans 12.9 says, Love must be sincere. Hate what is evil, cling to what is good. So the things that our mouth says must mask the things that we do. They walked with God was the next characteristic, the fifth characteristic. This is an intimacy. This is a relationship with God that took him wherever they went. Do you walk with God? Do you take God everywhere that you go? Are you able to introduce your God to everyone that you meet? You know, it says about Enoch in Genesis chapter 5 that he walked with God and he was not. Such was his intimate relationship with God that he simply took him home. Noah, imagine being Noah. You know, God asked him, probably when they were out walking one day, to build a boat. Have Have you ever heard Bill Cosby's rendition of God's conversation with Noah. It it, it really is very funny but I think in so many ways it would be so true. You know, when God says to Noah, Noah, build me a boat. Yeah. What's a boat? 
It was the first boat. (coughs) It had never rained. But it wasn't just a little boat like Barry's building. Barry's building this beautiful boat in his backyard. It's a great little boat. It's going to be excellent. But it's nothing like the ark, Barry. But God asked Noah to step right out on a limb here and accept being ridiculed by all the people that saw him. And not only being ridiculed himself, but Noah had to accept the fact that his whole family was going to be ridiculed. He had an intimacy with God that Noah was able to accept the fact that here he was going to build something that had never been seen before. And it was going to be used in an event that nobody believed in because they'd never ever seen it before. That takes an intimacy with God that not many of us have. Abraham, come on Abraham, walk with me and I'll show you where to go. And I'm going to make you the father of a whole new nation. And he went. Moses, don't worry about that water Moses. Just hold out that rod and it'll pass. And he took his people and walked with God and walked and God walked with him. And we see Paul who walked away from a former life and took the gospel throughout the known world at the time. We see Peter in this particular passage where Jesus asked him, Do you love me, Peter? Oh, you know that I do. But do you really love me, Peter? Do you really love me? And if Jesus was here today and he asked us the same questions, James, Jesus says, but do you love me? But do you really love me, James? Do you really, and I mean it, James, do you really love me? If Jesus was here this morning and he asked you those questions, what would be your reply? It's not like replying to me. You see, Jesus looks right through to the heart. He doesn't just listen to the words of our mouth. He desires an intimacy that we have with no one else. We may be able to fool anyone else in the world, even those closest to us, but we can't fool God. And John, the, the disciple whom Jesus loved. They lived uprightly. <clears throat> Micah 6.8, and we've read it many times here. He has shown you, O man, what is good and what does the Lord require of you? To act justly, to love mercy and to walk humbly with your God. And we go on there to Matthew 23, 23. Woe to you, teachers of the law and Pharisees, you hypocrites. You give a tenth of your spices, mint, dill and cumin, but you have neglected the more important matters of the law, justice, mercy and faithfulness. You should have practised the latter without neglecting the former. Do we live uprightly? 
Do we live uprightly? (coughs) Characteristic seven was that they turned many from sin. The example of a righteous living person will always be a brighter beacon than hollow words. Isn't that true? You know, to look at, I am much like my father. When I was a little boy, people would say, oh, you're a grant. And I was. And I still am. I had the looks of my father. But there was a very big difference in the two of us. He was a very quiet man. Why did you laugh, Stuart? (laughs) That wasn't what I was not saying we're different in that way. I am verbose. I understand that. He wasn't. He was a very quiet man. He was a tailor. And uh, over time, they had a very big tailoring business and over time they employed many uh, tailors, tailoresses, seamstresses. Hundreds of people, of women, in, in Ipswich were employed by my dad. And there was a particular occasion when I had the opportunity of meeting a number of those people and not one person ever that I have come across who worked for my dad ever had a negative word about him. Ever. He didn't say very much but he lived uprightly. And, uh, and they just loved him and they saw something in my dad that they didn't see in many other people. And when people invited children in, the, in Ipswich to come along to our church for, a, for Sunday school, we had a very large Sunday school, and they would door knock and, and well, who goes to that church? And when my dad's name was mentioned, a lot of these people had worked for my dad. If Jim Grant goes to that church, that church is good enough for me. The example of a righteous living person will always be a brighter beacon than hollow words. Matthew 5.16 says, Let your light so shine before men that they may see your good deeds and praise your Father in heaven. Oh, how people judge God by the things that we say and do. And Matthew 28, 19, and we heard Josh speak about this a couple of weeks ago, and as we go about our life, make disciples in the things that we say and we do. Acts 11, 19 to 26. Let me read this to you. And now those who had been scattered by the persecution. Okay, this is the people in Jerusalem who were persecuted because of their faith and they were scattered in amongst the other nations. Now those who had been scattered by the persecution that broke out when Stephen was killed travelled as far as Phoenicia, Cyprus and Antioch spreading the word only among Jews. But some of them, however men from Cyprus and Cyrene went to Antioch and began to speak to Greeks also telling them the good news about the Lord Jesus Christ and the Lord's hand was with them and a great number 
of people believed and turned to the Lord. And so it goes on. These people who were sent out of Jerusalem, kicked out, booted out, chased out and they had to go and create new lives wherever they went. Rent houses, buy houses, get a job. So the things that they were doing in everyday life, they continued to shine Christ. And as we go about life, let us also make disciples. They're the seven characteristics. Steve, are you there? Can you just flick the second slide back on, please, to show those seven characteristics to save me flicking back? (coughs) People, they reverenced God. They had a concern for God's name. They preached all of God's truth. They hated sin. They walked with God, they lived uprightly, they turned many from sin. The seven characteristics of a true servant of God. How many boxes can you tick? How many boxes can I tick on that list? And these are the things that God calls us to be. True to him walk with him, to revere his name, to honour him, to live in a godly manner about those that, all about, or within all of those, the society in which we live, whether it be at home, at work, socially. Can we tick those boxes? They're good seven characteristics, aren't they? We're going to look at some other aspects of being a servant next week but I want you to take some of those with you this morning and just look at those, think about those things during this week, those seven characteristics and do I tick those boxes? Let me pray. Father, this morning I want to thank you for your scriptures and the way that you in talking to the uh, the people of Israel through Malachi. You brought these things, um, that you you, uh, you, uh, uh, brought up these seven characteristics uh, that you had uh, uh, first seen in, in Levi or you had placed in Levi and you desired for the people of Israel to come back, especially the priests, and hold these characteristics within themselves so that they would bring honour and glory and reverence to you because it is by the example of a servant of God so other people will see you. And if we are uh, to display Christ within us then these characteristics must be displayed in our lives and that your name will then be glorified. And I pray, Father, as we go from this place today that we will display these characteristics, that these things will be written, engraved on our heart and that your Holy Spirit would live these things out through us. For We know that we have the Holy Spirit 
If we desire to allow you to live out through us, then it will happen. But it is up to us to allow that to happen, to cause it to happen, to make it happen. Help us to do that this week, I pray. In Jesus' name, amen. Thank you.